Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can hit us up on Twitter at goforitgan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Chicago Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod. And we're going to talk to Jermon about his upcoming season, uh, last season, and also about his big-time golf tournament coming up, and also youth football camp coming up in June. So we're going to talk to Jermon about those things. Also expect to be joined by St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild. And we're going to get Marlon's take on what may happen in the Final Four this weekend in North Dallas. Also expected to be joined by North Dakota State corner Marcus Williams and Marcus, former North Dakota State corner, Marcus Williams. And Marcus is preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. We're going to talk to Marcus about his prep for the upcoming NFL draft. And also we're going to be joined by Green Bay Packers linebacker Sam Barrington. And Sam is preparing himself to have a big-time year for the Packers uh, next season. So we're going to talk to Sam about last season, talk to Sam about his prep for the upcoming NFL season. I want to start right here and now with Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson sat down with Stephen A. Smith yesterday, denied a few things, said he's not a gang member, uh, you know, said that he's not a, he wasn't a cancer in the locker room, things of that nature. But this whole situation is kind of simple to me. This is, a, this is bottom line. A lot of people bring a race. There's nothing to do with race. And bottom line is, you know, and we all know the situation with Riley Cooper and Riley Cooper uh, sent the N-word and, and, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, this is not about race. Race has nothing to do with what happened here. I can see why people may want to make that assumption or think that it could be race, but it's not race. Bottom line is this came down to Deshaun Jackson and Chip Kelly, and Chip Kelly feeling like Deshaun Jackson is not good for his program moving forward. also came down to the cap money, what, $10.5 million dollars, this season, Deshaun Jackson with Cameron Eagles cap. So it, it came down to money, and, and it came down to, to Chip Kelly saying, I don't want this guy around. So in the process of, process of all that happening, maybe the Eagles leaked the story to NJ.com uh, about the alleged gang ties. But you, you look at those gang ties and the story of NJ.com, so those things that they, they talked about Deshaun Jackson happened a long time ago. Not a long time ago, but it happened a while ago. They're not new stories. It's not new. It's nothing new about anything that we saw in that NJ.com article. Nothing. Nothing new. I just, my whole thing with this whole situation, I didn't like how the Eagles, 
they were looking for an out, and they were also looking for a way to kind of soften the blow when they released him to the fan base. So you look at the situation. When it, when it first came out that Deshaun Jackson possibly could be traded by the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philadelphia fan base was up in arms. I should know. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I heard about it. I was listening to it. The fan base in Philadelphia was up in arms. So I believe the Eagles organization said this. Okay, here's what we got to do. We, we, we got There's a story coming out at NJ.com. We know about it. It's going to drop soon. So the moment that that story drops is the moment that we'll make our move. But in the meantime, let's see if we can get a, get a trade for him. Let, let's see what the market will bear. Let's see what we can get for Deshaun Jackson out there. Let's see. Let's see what's possible in terms of getting Deshaun Jackson, in terms of trading Deshaun Jackson. What those, let's see what's possible out there. So they went, did their due diligence. And the report was, you know, the Eagles were looking for a third rounder. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, I guess no teams were biting. So they figured out, okay, this story drops. At this point, this dude has no type of trade value. He has no type of trade value. So we got to do what we got to do. We got to get rid of him. We got to cut ties with Deshaun Jackson for nothing. We have to release him. We get nothing in return, but we have to release him at this point. We don't want him a part of our program. Deshaun Jackson's released. Ultimately, Deshaun Jackson signs with the Redskins. And ultimately, Deshaun Jackson, I guess, at this point, will he live happily ever after? Only time will tell. But I, I, I say all this to say, you know what? I didn't like the way the Eagles went about this. I, I, I thought, okay, if you don't want him, there was a better way to do it. And, and the story that came out, I believe it was yesterday, about Deshaun Jackson being a me guy in the locker room, not getting along with Chip Kelly, some of the players not liking his act, calling it, and some of the players, you know, thinking his act is tired at this point. You know, maybe that type of story would have been better than the story of the gang ties and, and, and things of that nature. But I will say this, Deshaun Jackson did put it on himself on some level. I mean, you, you, you're throwing up possibly crip signs against D'Angelo Hall. He denies it. He he didn't say it was a crip sign. I don't know. When I heard the interview, I wasn't really too clear what he was trying to say, to be honest with you. But he said, you know what, it wasn't a crip sign. Okay. Um, you know, then, you know, he, 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 he had all these pictures of himself on Instagram throwing up clip, crip signs and, uh, and pictures with, with – uh, the man, one of his friends, Shakur is his last name, uh, who was involved in the shooting. Ultimately, Shakur was Theron Shakur. Ultimately, he was acquitted of that particular situation. Um, according to NJ.com, uh, Deshaun Jackson deleted all the photos off his Instagram of him and Shakur. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but not surprising. But I believe... I believe moving forward, Deshaun Jackson does need to change some things. He, he does need to change some things about what he's doing and who he is associating with. And, and I get what he's saying. He's saying these guys are his friends. He's saying that these guys are his friends. So, and, and I get that and I understand that. I, I, mean, I can't say I, I truly understand it because I'm not from where he's from. I'm not from where he's from. So I, I don't particularly understand all the, the, the ins and outs of gang life and, and, and all the things that goes with growing up in South Central L.A. 
I don't understand it. I don't claim to understand it. But I just look at this whole situation and just, you know, the whole situation with the gangs and, and, and bringing that up. I, I, I mean, I just it was an old story. It was, it was old news. It was old news. It really was old news. NJ.com denies that the Eagles leaked anything to them. They, they denied that. Um, Deshaun Jackson denies being in a gang. He denies all that. But I don't. I don't think Deshaun Jackson is a gang member. Does he have friends who with guys? Is he friends with guys who are in gangs? Sure. But I don't believe he's a gang member. Never thought he was a gang member. This for the Eagles was a, a, a means to an end. This was the Eagles doing what they had to do to get this quote unquote cancer out of their locker room. Get this ten point five million dollars off their cap without the fan base being completely up in arms. But I will say this, 82-13-32 and nine touchdowns isn't out there, at least in the NFL. I mean, it could be in a draft at some point, but it's probably not going to be out there right away. So you went to having a big-time number one wide receiver, Deshaun Jackson, to having Riley Cooper and Jeremy Macklin and possibly somebody you're going to draft as your wide receivers. You went from having, I think you went from wide receiver being a strength for your team to wide receiver possibly, possibly being a weakness for this team. Because now you don't have a number one wide receiver. Now you have a guy in Jeremy Macklin coming off an ACL injury. Riley Cooper how good is he really? How good, how good is Riley Cooper really? I mean, he, he had a good season. There's no doubt about that. He had a good season for the Eagles, but he didn't have a great season. He didn't have a five-year, $25 million season. I mean, he caught 47 balls, 800 yards, eight touchdowns. But, I mean, were you really impressed by what you saw with Riley Cooper? I wasn't, but I'm going to get back to the story in a moment. But before, when I get back to the story, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why and what Deshaun Jackson can do moving forward. And also I'm going to tell you why it's not always easy replacing 82, 13, 32, and nine touchdowns. But let's go to the final four. The final four in North Texas, in Jerry's world, it's always it's going to be a big time situation. It's going to be an exciting situation. It's going to be some big time basketball. This NCAA tournament has been big time. The games have been absolutely amazing. There's a lot of close back and forth action. I mean, this has been one of the better tournaments. And anybody out there who says that one and done is bad for college basketball, I think you need to look at this tournament. You may think. Otherwise, let's, but we're going to bring in a guy now who knows a lot about the game of basketball, who knows a lot about what's going to possibly happen this weekend at the Final Four. Let's bring him in now, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gill. Marlon. Hey, Paul. Paul, what's up, How man? You, How's everything? I'm doing, doing good, well. man. Thanks How for joining us. No, no I'm doing no great. Doing great. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. Uh, first of all, my apologies for uh, – you guys losing Deshaun Jackson this week, man. I know that one was uh, hard on you. 
That was a rock. That was that was rough. That's a rock one. That's a rock one. But but we got to move on. We we, we got to move on. But you know we'll we'll see what happens with that whole situation. It's definitely not a good situation. Not a good look for the Philadelphia Eagles. But Marlon, it's the final four, man. And I want to uh, bring a date to your attention: December second, twenty thirteen. That was the last time Florida would lose, and they lost to the opponent. The opponent, excuse me, that they played today. UConn, how much different is Florida then and now? Uh, you know, I don't think there there's really a difference, man. Florida is like a, uh, a old fashioned car. You know, they probably just needed some fine tuning December second, and uh, I think they've done that. You know, they were a little shaky in the SEC tournament the first uh, couple games before beating Kentucky, but uh, you know, since then. Now struggled a little bit in uh, I think round round two of their NCAA tournament game, but hey man, they just had too many weapons, man. Uh, with Wilbekin playing the way he's been playing, Prather playing the way he's been playing, uh, you know Patrick Young is always consistent with what he does on the inside. Michael Frazier is a knockdown shooter, uh, so you know I don't really think there's been a difference. They just needed some some fine tuning. Well, a little bit of an oil change, that's all. Okay, okay. It's been a great oil change because from there, they've been playing some big-time basketball. You look at UConn now, Marlon. This is a team blown out by Louisville in their conference tournament. This was a team I actually had losing to St. Joe's in the first round. I still believe to this day that they should have lost to St. Joe's in that game. But anyway, they're here, and they're playing some big-time basketball. What's the difference with UConn from the conference tournament till now? Well, you might be the uh, the only Philly guy that thought St. Joe's was going to beat UConn that day, uh, you know. And, and and I'm sure you were you were sitting up, you know, excited in your chair. But uh, you know, I just think right now, when you got a guy like Shabazz Napier who understands when he's got to turn it on and off, and I, I think that's what he's done this whole tournament. You know, he he's a veteran guy that watches how the game's going. And he understands when it's time for him to turn things up. And, you know, not a lot of guys can do that. You know, you can be a good player and not know when to turn it up. And, you know, I think he watches the game, see how the flow of the game is going, and says to himself, all right, now it's my turn to take things over. And I just think, you know, the way Coach Ali has those guys believing in one another, and, and most importantly, I just think on the defensive end. Uh, you look at what they've done to Villanova. Uh, locking them up. You look at what they did to uh, Michigan State. They made it tough for uh, Adrian Payne to get the ball in, in the paint. Uh, they sent two guys, sometimes three guys at him. I think he had two two travels early on in that game and really forced them to become a, a three-point shooter. And with, with a guy like Adrian Payne's size and talent, if you can force him to do that, you know, you put yourself in a good position to win. And I just think defensively, UConn's been playing unbelievable basketball. And, you know, you know that, that motto, defense wins championships. Right. And that, that's what they've been doing. How much did it help having that uh, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 game at Madison Square Garden? How much did that help UConn? It was almost like a home uh, game. Uh, you know what? I, I think it helped. But, you, you know, when, when you're playing – when you're playing and you're at this point in the season, man, you understand what it takes to get the job done. You know, now playing at Madison Square Garden, yeah, it's 
two and a half hours away from UConn, but Michigan State fans traveled. You know, okay. so was it really was it really a, a home game? You know, Iowa State had a good crowd that traveled out to New York. So I don't necessarily think that playing at the Garden was was a big factor. Uh, you know, the, the rims are the same everywhere. You know, so I, I don't really think that mattered. We're talking to St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Gilder. Marlon, you talked about Napier. I mean, this guy is having a Kemba Walker type of run here in this NCAA tournament. He leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists. Talk about Napier's play in this tournament. How impressed have you been? Uh, well, the only thing left for him to do now is sell popcorn. But he's been he's been phenomenal, uh, and this is what you expect from your senior. Uh, you know, he had success as a freshman, and honestly, I think that's helped him. Watching what Kemba Walker did when Napier was a freshman has been a big help right. to him. Uh, you know, you were able to taste success early on, and then you go through some bumps in the road, especially last year with, with UConn not making the tournament, and it's like, hey, you ask yourself, what do I need to do to make sure that we get back to the promised land? And I think he's put this team on his back. And like I said, he's doing some veteran things. You see how the flow of the game is going, and when it's my time to take over, he takes over. And, you know, special guys have that kind of talent. And he's he's showing it. I mean, he's big time in this tournament. He's one of the reasons UConn is where they are at. Today, you look at the NCAA tournament, Marlon, guards winning the tournament. You got Wilbekin with Florida. You got Napier with UConn. Advantage who? Uh, uh, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I, I love Napier, and, you know, he has to do everything for UConn. You know, they go with, as he goes, but Wilbekin just has more weapons. I mean, he's playing – off the charts right now. Not a lot of people are talking about that. Uh, and I just think he has more guys around him, you know, that, that are ready for the moment. Uh, I think he can kick out to Michael Frazier for a three, for four shot. You know, you got Patrick Young on the inside. You got Dorian Finney-Smith coming off the bench. You got Casey Hill, who's only a freshman, but when he's in the game, he knows what he needs to do. You know, I, I just think Wolverton has more options uh for today's game, and you still have him. He can make a shot when he has to right. take over a game, you know. So I would say Wilbekin probably has the advantage. We're not going to take your prediction just yet for this game, but hold on, hold on tight with your prediction. Let's go to the other game now, Marlon. Uh, Kentucky and Wisconsin. I want to look at Kentucky now. You have John Calipari. He's the master of the one and done. He has – Taken, he has taken it, and he has perfected it, and he has benefited from the one and dunce. Is this the blueprint for everybody that can do it moving forward? Nah, you know, I, I beg, beg to differ with that because look at the okay. other three teams in, in, in the tournament. They all have upperclassmen. Uh, you, you know, Wisconsin has guys that, that are sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Uh, Florida the same way. Uh, you, you look at UConn, you got Napier as a senior, Boatwright's a junior, Daniels is a junior, uh, you know, Philip Nolan is a junior. So I, I don't 
necessarily think that that holds true. You know, now the one and does are great. I mean, what Kentucky has is just special. Um, and, yeah. and we've been able to see that over the past couple weeks w- with this tournament. But, uh, you know, I, I think with those other three teams, it shows that, hey, if, if you put a team together, it doesn't necessarily have to be the most talented team. But if you put a group together that gels over the course of time, you can see what they can become. And I think you see that with those other three teams and, and even this Kentucky team. Yeah, they're all one and done. But, you know, just think about this, you know, maybe a month and a half, two months ago, nobody's pick, picking Kentucky to be in the Final Four. Everybody's saying that this class was overrated. So, so, so as, know, a whole, as a whole, is this kind of an overrated part of the story? In your mind? Uh, uh, yes and no. You know, not to take anything away from the Kentucky freshmen. I mean, they're phenomenal. Uh, but it, it just takes time. And I think once a team clicks, and sometimes it happens faster than others. You're seeing that now with those guys. But, you know, right. it, over a course of time, if you put a team together, you know, the final outcome is what you see this weekend with three out of the four teams having a group that's been together two-plus years. Now let's look at Kentucky. Nine freshmen on this team. You have the five freshmen that start, three of these freshmen from Texas, Julius Randle and the Harrison Twins. How much does that matter, those guys going home? I I don't think it does. I mean, it kind of goes back to the UConn-Madison Square Garden thing. Those guys have been in these situations before. I I think uh, Kentucky already played – at uh, at the AT&T Stadium this year mm-hmm. uh, against Baylor, I believe, or earlier in the year. So I, I don't think mm-hmm. that that matters to them. Uh, you know, it's another game uh, with a higher magnitude, you know, with a chance to get to the uh, NCAA championship game. Now, Marlon, let me ask you this. I mean, we look at the Michigan, the Fab Five, and four of those players made it to the NBA. Really, only three made a difference in the NBA. You look at the starting five for Kentucky. How many NBA players do you see in that Kentucky starting five? Uh, well, I mean, obviously you got to start with Julius Randle, uh, who, who's just right. a monster of a, of a man. He ain't a boy no more. He's a man. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, he's probably been a man the past two, three years. Uh, right. You know, you, you start with him. He's just a mismatch problem being a lefty at his size with the power that, that he has, the finesse that he has. Uh, you know, the, the Harrison twins who are playing a lot better now, I, I think they should come back next year, but they're playing a lot better, playing with a lot more confidence. Dakari um, Johnson is playing out of his mind right now. I, I've watched him over over the years with him being a uh, metropolitan area kid. And the way he's playing right now, I don't even think Dakari Johnson thought he could play this good. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see him down the road. Another guy that probably should come back, and he probably will come back. Um, you know, and, and I'll be honest, the guy that nobody really talks about is, is James Young. I, I mean, he's a lefty that can shoot the ball. And I know he can't really put it down on the floor that well, but what's the one thing that not just college basketball, basketball in general is missing? A, a guy that can shoot, you know, and he has good size. Uh, I was just talking about this earlier today. 
and somebody brought it up to me, and, and I really believe this, that James Young is probably the best pro prospect on that team that nobody talks about. Wow. So we'll see. I mean, it should be interesting what happens with these guys as they go to the next level. Marlon, let's look at this game. I mean, we look at Florida and UConn, and we talk about guard play. We look at this game, and we talk about what's going to happen inside the paint. Frank Kaminsky from Wisconsin, who's been big time, obviously Randall with Kentucky. In your mind, who controls the paint in this game? Uh, uh, Another tough one. I mean, you look at what (laughs) Frank Kaminsky did last week against Arizona. Uh, Those guys couldn't match up with him. And I think the the Kentucky bigs as a whole will have a little bit of trouble. You know, as big guys, as defenders, you're taught how to play big guys in the paint. But what do you do when, when you have a guy like Kaminsky who can play inside but can also pick and pop from the outside, play off his catch from the perimeter? That That's not easy for six seven, six eight, six nine guy mm-hmm. to play against because you're taught your whole life how to play in the paint, you know. So he's a big-time inside-outside uh, matchup problem. But, you know, at, at the same time, it's going to be hard for him to guard a guy like Randall on the outside if he does get switched up on him, uh, you know, to stop him going to his left hand. And where not a lot of people give Randall credit for, yeah, he's lefty, he does everything going to his left hand, but on his drives from the perimeter, it's real easy for him to spin back to come back to his right shoulder and just go right through you. Not a lot of guys can can do that. Uh, And I just think with the way he's playing right now, he's playing at an all-time high level. Uh, the, the past couple weeks. Uh, and, and then, you know, you have the other guys on the inside. Uh, with, Like I said, Dakari Johnson. Um, the way Marcus Lee played last week, I, I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their heads why he hasn't played all year. But, you know, it just goes back to how deep Kentucky is. And, uh, you know, will Willie Cauley-Stein make an appearance? You know, if, if he does, I, I think he would probably – be the best defender to play on Kaminsky now. Even with him being injured, that's going to be tough. But, you know, from a matchup standpoint, I, I think he has the mobility to move off a position guy's shot fake and get to the basket and still recover the, the blocker shot. Now, will he play today? You know, from what I've been hearing out here in Dallas, maybe not. But, you know, I, I think Kentucky should still control the paint, but it won't be as easy as people think. You know, Frank Kaminsky is a, a very good player. We're talking to St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. Now, Marlon, let, let's let's get to the predictions now. Um, Florida, UConn, how do you see it playing out? Uh, I, I'm going to have to go with the Gators on this one. Uh, too many weapons, guys that understand what it takes. And I, I just think with, with UConn, you know, Napier is going to will them to keep the game close. I, I do think the important piece for UConn to have a chance to win this game would be DeAndre Daniels. Uh, I think he's a guy that he has no idea how good he can be. Um, you know, he, he's got to have a good game. I like the freshman kid, uh, Brema. He, he plays hard coming off the bench. But I just think Florida has too many weapons with Frazier, Prather, Finney Smith, Patrick Young. It's too much to overcome. 
you know, so I'm going to have to go with Florida uh, for the first game. And Kentucky, Wisconsin. Kentucky, Wisconsin. I'll say this: if Wisconsin can keep it close on the boards, I mean, you look at Kentucky's past two games; they they blew out Louisville on, on the boards, and, and Michigan didn't stand a chance. I thought that's where they really got hurt was on the boards. If uh, Wisconsin can neutralize that somewhat, they'll have a chance. But I, I just think the way Kentucky's been playing with, with those freshmen, it, they're going to be hard. Uh, it's like what you and I said uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I thought Wichita State was probably the hardest matchup for uh, Kentucky, and they were able mm-hmm. to survive that. I really thought uh, Louisville didn't match up well with Kentucky, and, and we kind of saw that. Michigan the same way, and, and I kind of think Wisconsin, you know, is, is kind of in the same boat. They won't be able to match up too well with uh, Kentucky. So I, I see Kentucky beating uh, Wisconsin. We go to Monday night now. You have Florida. You have Kentucky in the national title game. How's that play out? Uh, th- that's going to be like the old Duke-Michigan game from uh, – <laughs> the early 90s. I'm going to say Florida wins that one just because of the veterans. Blowout fashion? Uh, I I see the same thing that happened to Michigan versus Duke happening again. I think Kentucky will be up at halftime and Florida will pull it out in the second half. Okay. So you got Florida winning the national title. Yes. Did Did you have that in your bracket originally? I did not. I had uh, I had Louisville beating Florida, and uh, okay. you know the, the, the Wildcats let me down a little bit. But you know, it's all right. If if it wasn't St. Peter's playing in the national championship, everything else was you know second uh, second nature to me, man. So you're down there in Dallas now? Yes, I am. I am. The, the weather's pretty nice. I am. Okay. All right. What's the buzz around there? Uh. Well, aside from a lot of guys looking for jobs, uh, <laughs> the, the, the buzz has been, been pretty cool, man. You know, this is my uh, seventh Final Four that, that I've attended. Uh, it, it's nice just to bump into guys that you haven't seen in a while. You know, mm-hmm. during the hustle and bustle of the year, it, it, it's a little tough, you know, but it's good to see guys that you don't really get a chance to see. And, uh, you know, everybody's here for the same reason. They just want to see a good game and, uh, you know, talk basketball. I mean, what better place is there to be? For sure, for sure. Basketball heaven this weekend in North Carolina. You got to come on down to one, man. Maybe one, one uh, Indianapolis days. next year, man. One of these days, one of these days I'll get down there. I want to ask you this. You know, you you rid me about my Eagles. You got on me about my Eagles and Deshaun Jackson. Um, Last night, at Madison Square Garden, um, the Washington <laughs> Wizards <laughs> went into New York. Bradley, Bill, Beal hit a big-time shot in that game. The Knicks fighting for their playoff lives. The Atlanta Hawks did beat the Cavaliers last night. So as we speak today, the Atlanta Hawks would have the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs. Do you see your New York Knicks making the playoffs? <laughs> Oh man! Like I tell you all the time, I hope so. Last night I was uh, I was at an Adidas event 
and I'm updating my phone like every five minutes. And as I see the score for the uh, Wizards uh, next game, I almost dropped to my knees because <laughs> leave it up to the Cleveland Cavaliers to not show up and let the Hawks win right. a game. And, uh, you know, Bradley Bill has a chance to be a star in the NBA. I, I really do think in the next couple of years he'll be the best two-guard in the NBA. Uh, wow. You know, I, I saw the shot that he hit last night. It was a tough shot, tough pull-up shot. It was. Uh, which, it was. which is one of the, the hardest shots to hit in basketball because the defender is pretty much on your shooting on your shooting hand. But uh, very tough shot. And, uh, you know, the Knicks got some work to do. You know, it's not a uh, – not a not an arduous task, but you know they got some some work to do. And the way they've been playing the past couple of weeks, you know, you hope that they can pull it out. I mean, they let some games slide. You know, losing to uh, Cleveland a couple of weeks ago, and, yeah, you know, would be battle. would be the Knicks to lose to Cleveland, and then you know not showing up against the Lakers, and then not showing up against the Suns. You know, were, were three costly games that you had to win to at least give yourself some some cushion. You know for a loss against the Wizards. And, you know, I still think they got some tough games coming up, but we'll see. That, that's why you play the games, you know? For sure. And you got the Knicks going to Miami tomorrow. You got the Hawks going to Indiana tomorrow. Indiana's not been playing well, but I believe they can beat the Hawks tomorrow. But we'll see if the Knicks can go into Miami and, and beat the Heat. But, I, I mean, as a whole, as a as an NBA fan personally, I don't want to see the Hawks make it as the AFC because I believe the Knicks could go in – to the playoffs and, and possibly stretch the the Heat or the Pacers. And I'm not saying they'll take it to seven, but I think they can get it to six, and I think they can make it interesting. No, they, they can, but there's a uh, a six foot eight, six foot nine guy that weighs about 260 pounds and wears number six on Miami. That's pretty good, and uh, I, I don't see anybody stopping him at least until the conference finals. Well, there's always the possibility that you, uh, if Indiana can get it right, there's always the possibility that you guys, if you make the playoffs, could play the Pacers. And the Pacers really have not been good at all over these past few weeks. So I'm not saying they'll beat the Pacers, but they can make it interesting. No, I'd say that the possibility of me winning the lotto are much higher than both of those odds. <laughs> You're probably right. And, and, and I, I love the Knicks, but you know I, I'm a realist at the same time. Right now, for me, just getting to the playoffs after a tumultuous season would be an accomplishment. For sure. And I, I looked at the Knicks, and to me, the big difference is one of the big differences is the player J.R. Smith. I mean, last year, Six Man of the Year award winner. This year, injuries started off slow, and he started to pick it. He started to pick it up a little bit. So. I mean, I think that's one of the differences in the Knicks and, and why they're playing so bad this season. Also, Tyson Chandler being hurt and just things just not flowing right. But we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens, and hopefully they can sneak in the playoffs for your sake and for the sake of the NBA because I think it would be good for the game. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Have a lot of fun down there in Texas, but not too much. Oh, hey, man, I'm about to go stuff my face with some barbecue. So uh, I'll make sure I get some extra just for you, man. But I'm enjoying myself, and as always, thanks for having me on, man. No doubt. Take care. You too. Marlon Guild, assistant basketball coach, St. Peter's 
college. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. (laughs) Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can have married women. We've seen you you have a pedigree. (laughs) We've seen what you can do. We've seen it. (laughs) I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that Rocky. (laughs) That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. The NFL draft is just around the corner. Less than a month. Well, not a little more than a month away in May. We're in April right now, and it's always an exciting time of the year for the prospects and for teams all around the National Football League. We're going to bring in a guy now who's preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, trying to get himself in shape, get himself ready for what may happen in the month of May. Let's bring him in now, former North Dakota State corner Marcus Williams. Marcus, how are you, sir? Pretty good. How's it going? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Now, Marcus, you, you did your pro day in Minnesota last month. Did you feel like you showed the scouts a lot on that day? Yeah, I feel like I showed the scouts a lot. I mean, from running, uh, uh, jumping, showing my lateral quickness, and, uh, and also doing very well in the position drills. I got nothing but good feedback from all the coaches that was there. So I feel like uh, I definitely impressed uh Definitely impressed some coaches and uh, and did some good things for myself. Did, did, was there a lot of pressure on you? Did, did you feel the pressure? You know, you're a small school guy and you got to kind of turn some heads there at those pro days. But was there a lot of pressure on you? Uh, not really. I mean, some guys would probably see that as pressure. I mean, I, I just see it more as a challenge. You know, I mean, right. I mean coming from a small school and 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 knowing that uh, I mean, scouts want to see what you can do at, at the at the highest level. Uh, you know it's a challenge, and that's, and that's why I play the game to compete and, and I always go out there and show what I can do, no matter who I'm playing against or what's going on. Just go out there and do my best and hope for the best. Now, you played in the East-West Shrine game as well. Were you happy with mm-hmm. what you did in that particular game? Well, probably not more of the game, but the more during the week, during practice, uh, okay. I showed that I could play with uh, – so that I could play with those guys from all different uh, type of schools, no matter if it was a, a D1, AA, or, or FBS school, whatever. Uh, I felt like I showcased my talent and, and impressed a lot of guys when I was there. Now, I, I look at you, and you had uh, some big games against a lot of big teams. I mean, you look at you had a pick six against Minnesota in 2012. You had another pick mm-hmm. against K-State this season. Did you look mm-hmm. at those games as kind of like your time to shine? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, those, those games are going to be the game for scouts. Uh, I mean, where scouts want to see how good you are or what you can do, and uh, and those games are, are are games that's good for not just me, but for our school as well to uh, showcase. I mean, what we can do as, as a team. 
So, I mean, of course, those games are, like, number one on my list. And uh, I just go out there and try to perform because, I mean, I mean, great players are going to show up in the big games. And that's what I go off of. That's my motto. And I just want to go out there and do as well as I can. We're talking to former North Dakota State corner Marcus Williams. And, Marcus, you hold the school record with 21 picks and the FCS record with seven picks, four touchdowns. To me, Mm -hmm. that's big playability. Talk about the big playability of Marcus Williams. Uh, well, big plays. I mean, that's what I strive for. I mean, I know a corner uh, is going to come down to uh, you and the man in front of you and what you can do. And also, I'm, I'm big on big plays on special teams as well, at returning the ball on punt and kickoff. So, I mean, I mean, that's just what I do. That's what I try to go out there and work on every day. I mean, it all starts in the film room. Uh, I mean, knowing what your opponent is going to do, knowing what you're going to get, so that when the times come, uh, you're able to make those big plays. Now, I, I, you, you talked about the punts and the kickoffs that you did. You, you did that at North Dakota State. Do you see yourself doing that on the next level? Oh, yeah, definitely. If I'm asked to do that or, or anything else, uh, I definitely can see myself doing it and, and uh, I mean, it doesn't matter, but, I mean, returning, that's what I like to do. Uh, I like to have the ball in my hands uh, and just make a play, like you said earlier. I can just go out there and show what I can do and, and prove to these guys that just because I'm a small school doesn't mean anything, that I can still go out here and perform at a high level and compete with other guys from around the country. Uh, I think I'll do just well and fit in just well in special teams and also on defense. I hear you say the word small school. When when I hear that, I, I see a chip on your shoulder, a little chip on your shoulder trying to prove to everybody, like, look, just because I play at a small school doesn't mean I can't ball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had that chip ever since I got to North Dakota State. I mean, just because, uh, because you look that different. I mean, you're not on TV all the time. Uh, and also you're from North Dakota, so every time you're going somewhere, people are like, I never really heard of your school and stuff like that. So I just gives you a big chip. It makes me, it keeps me humble, and also it keeps me hungry as well. So I mean, I just, I love fighting. I love to go out there and compete. That's why I play the sport. I mean, just to compete and do as best as I can, uh, and just go out there and get, get the job done. For sure, we're talking to former North Dakota, North Dakota State corner Marcus Williamson. And Marcus, uh, the reports I'm hearing, you possibly could go in the seventh round. What are you hearing? Yeah, anywhere from sixth or seventh round. Uh, okay. But wherever it is, I mean, I, I'm going to go out there and, and compete and get the job done and hopefully go out there and make a team. But, I mean, I'll be excited to go anywhere and uh, just looking forward to this experience. Now, I, I look at you, three-time FCS All-American, 2012 Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year. If I'm a GM, why should I draft Marcus Williams? Uh, well, because uh, I'm going to go out there and, and give it my all. I'm going to go out there and, and try to show I me mean, what I can do. I'm going to play every position, no matter if it's special teams. Uh, and I'm going to do what it's asked for. I'm going to work hard. Uh, I'm going to study film. I'm going to get the job done there. Uh, I'm a great teammate. I'm a great locker room guy. I can go around and I, I get along with a lot of people. I'm a quick learner, too, so I can pick up defenses uh, as quick. From no matter if it's corner, safety, nickel, whatever you want me to do, I could pick up the defense real quick, and, and that's just what I do. I mean, I mean football. I mean, I love football. Uh, I love the art of football. 
I love how you prepare for it, and I'm just a hard worker, and I'm going to get the job done, and when the time comes, I'm going to go out there and make plays as well. Now, you talked about how much you love football, but you also got a little bit of a basketball game right here. You were close to playing basketball in college. Talk about Marcus Williams, Marcus Williams the basketball player. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, coming out of high school, I didn't really know what sport I wanted to play. Uh I was also uh, offered to play both sports at North Dakota State, too, for me to play basketball there. But right. decided not to. But, I mean, me as a basketball player, I was a great defensive guy. I mean, very quick. Uh, the pass first point guard. Uh, I mean, he could do a lot of things that uh, I feel that other guys couldn't do. And I really can't tell you. I mean, it was probably five years ago. I really haven't played so much lately. But, I mean, I do miss it, and I love it. But I'm getting ready for the NFL now. And, can't wait for uh, to see where I go. Who was your favorite NFL team growing up? Who 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 were you a fan of? Fan of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. I was a big Eagles okay. fan, and also uh, yeah, the Vikings as well. Just being from Minnesota. Okay. How'd you like the Eagles? Well, my mother is from Philadelphia, so I would always oh. go out there and, and and watch those guys play. Went to a few games. It was probably some of the best times of my life. And, I mean, just growing up as a kid and you being around that, uh, you have no choice but to uh, love that and be a part of it and feel like and feel like that's what you are. So that's probably the main reason why I love the to, 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 I mean, love the Eagles. So you're a man after my own heart. I'm a lifelong Eagles fan myself. Really? Well, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Deshaun Jackson, man. I mean, wow, that's rough. That's yeah. Be tough. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, I, I, I saw a picture of you, man, and I, you know, I'm a bald man, so I don't have any hair. But I, I see your hair. It makes me mm-hmm. a little jealous. I'm a little jealous <laughs> of your hair. <laughs> what, what are you doing there? Um, how, how long are you planning on growing it? Um, uh, I said I want to keep these good uh, until I'm at least done playing football. Once I'm done, I'll probably get a cut here sooner or later. But hopefully, uh, once I'm done playing football, which hopefully is probably what. 10 years from now or so, whatever, I think about coming in. And hopefully the, your hairline won't do any crazy things where you will be forced to cut it a little sooner. Exactly, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, that could also be another case, too, where I have to cut it and, and go bald. That's a tough situation, but you, you learn to adjust. I'm a, I, I speak out of experience. You learn to adjust, but it is what it is. And, and Marcus, you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect yep. with you on Twitter? Uh, well, Twitter, uh, my, uh, my Twitter account is ZRealMarkWill. Uh, okay. You can go follow me anytime. I love uh, I love communicating with my followers and everything like that. So, yeah, like I said, the real Mark Will. Uh, just follow me on Twitter, and I'll be glad to follow back and, and get to know fans across the world and, and have a good time with that. Fans, make sure you check this man out on Twitter. The real Mark at the real Mark Will. This man is preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. This man believes that he will be successful on the next level, and we'll see what happens. Marcus, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate you having me on the show, man. It was a great time talking to you. No problem. Take care. Take care as well. Marcus Williams, defensive back. Marcus Williams, defensive back, North Dakota State. 
We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Always, always, you know, it's tough. It's tough. It's rough. But we'll see what happens. And, you know, the NFL draft is right around the corner, right around the corner. Let's bring him in now, offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears, Jermon Bushrod. Jermon, how are you, sir? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Glad you guys had me on. Jermon, you came in from New Orleans and you helped anchor a line that paved the way for a 1,300-yard rusher, and you guys gave up the four fewest sacks in the NFL. What made you guys so effective as a unit in 2013? Well, you know, we have uh we have great leadership. Um and you know, that's that, that comes from uh you know, uh twelve, thirteen year vet, uh Roberto Garza man and you know, I th- I just think the younger guys, you know, see how hard uh you know, that we're trying to work, you know, we're we're trying to be as good as we possibly can and you know, it's just it's it's just about, you know, putting that work in um during practice before and after practice, truthfully and and this off season is gonna be a big off season for us. And you guys were big time on offense, over 6,000 yards, a team record. So you guys really did a big on the offensive side of the ball. Do you feel like you guys can do the same thing in 2014? Uh, that's the plan, and we're going to try to get better. You know, um, we always got to find some ways to continue to ascend instead of, instead of descend. You know, we're, we're trying to um, figure out the things that we did well last year and the things that we need to work on. And, and just kind of work on those things that we uh, that we can get better at, and you know, just make sure that we're staying on top of the things that you know we did well. So it's just about everybody, you know, from top to bottom, um, getting a better understanding of our offense. And and you know, we have one one good year under our belt as a unit. So you know, we're just going to continue try to fight to continue to grow, man. Now, let's go to you now. You signed that big deal in the offseason to come in and help solidify the offensive line. As a whole, how would you rate your play in 2013? Um, I mean, you know, I, I go out there with the same mindset week in and week out. I try, I, find a, I try to fight to find a way to get, you know, get the job done. And I think last year was, uh, was one of my better years, truthfully. Um, I felt good out there. Uh, I adjusted to the weather well. Um, we tried to do some things, and, 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 and we were, and we were, you know, we were successful. But you know, there's always ways for us to grow. Always ways for us to continue to play, you know, better as a unit, be on the same page. So um, last year, you know, felt good. But uh, our goal this year is continue to get better, man, and, and just just find a way to to make this offense, you know, that much better. Now, did you feel any added pressure being that you signed that big-time deal in the offseason coming into this season, last season? Was there any added pressure for you? Um, to me, I mean, I mean, it's a big deal, you know, when, when, when you are given a long-term contract. But, you know, the pressure is the same pressure that I put on myself on a yearly basis, man. It's, it's, it's just about uh going out there and, and doing my job to the best of my ability. And, you know, I don't really let the whole money thing or the whole, you know, new offensive line, uh, new offensive lineman into, into a system, you know, kind of get to me because, you know, that's the kind of things that can just, you know, worry someone to death. So I just try to figure out, uh, just try to be as simple as possible and, and 
and I fight to have the same mindset year in and year out. You know, what can I work on? What did I do okay last year? What did I do okay with last year? And 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 how can I go out here and execute our game plan to the best of my ability? So I'm I'm sharp mentally and physically, and and just finding a way to block the guy in front of me. We're talking to Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod, and Jermon, you were named to USA's football all fundamental team. So I, I got to call you the big fundamental. I mean, you, you, your fundamentals are on point. Talk <laughs> about the importance of fundamentals in your game. Uh, well, you know, being with uh, being an offensive lineman, it's, it's 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 all technique. I mean, you know, all these guys are big, all these guys are strong, but it's it's just about trying to find a way to 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 fight to get an edge or or, or just find a, a better way to do your job so you're not. You know, you're going to be always going to be working hard, but, you know, you've you got to fight to, to work smarter. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, being an offensive lineman, you have to be – you have to work on your technique. That's something that you have to do. That's something that starts in the off season. It starts now, you know. So that extra work that you're fighting to put in, that's going to, you know, continue to carry on um, into the season. And it's been that way since, uh, you know, since, since high school and but mostly college. You guys were prolific on offense, but not so good on defense. A lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball, including Lance Briggs. But what did you see from that Bears defense last season? You played against it before. Last season, there were a lot of struggles on the defensive side. You know, it, it is. You know, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, uh, we had a, a, a great group of guys out there that were fighting in iron, and we did get played by the injury bug, honestly. And in all positions, you know, DB linebackers and our D line got got hit pretty bad, and you know, early on in the season. But you know, um, our defense has has kept caught, you know, kept us in games last year, and you know, we we just try to find a way to work hand in hand. And at the end of the day, we're we're all trying to get better offense, trying to get better defense and special teams. So, you know, um, we got to let the pass lead the pass, and then just fight to continue to, to do better. I mean, because those guys did a lot of good things last year, but unfortunately it just didn't work out for the whole team. Now you guys bring in Jared Allen to replace Julius Peppers. You played against Jared Allen. You know what he brings to the table. What does he bring to the table for your defense? How does he help your defense? Just, you know, toughness, tenacity. He's a veteran in this game. He knows how, he knows how to work. He knows what to do. Um, so I think it's going to be great for the young guys we have and just for everybody to see, you know, the type of caliber of people that we have brought in this offseason. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of staying under the radar a little bit, and, and, and that's good because, you know, we're trying to, to bring in our correct pieces that's going to fit uh, our defensive scheme. And, um, and truthfully, man, it's, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be a fight, you know, come, come training camp with us, the offensive line, defensive line. But, the fact that you know we get we get to to go against um, all this new talent, especially on the outside. I mean, I think we brought in with four new defensive men, so that's pretty exciting, man. Um, right. And and us and us as a defense being able to to sign our, our veteran corners back. That's uh, you know that's clutch. So I'm excited about it. Um, it's a new year, it's a new mindset. We're gonna get it rolling. Now, I guess the good thing is you don't have to block Jared Allen anymore. At least not yeah, I, I, I guess it's a, it's a trade-off. You know, I, I, when I was in New Orleans, I played against Pepper uh, Pep uh, a couple times a year. Right. Now I'm at the stadium again for a couple times. He's always a headache. So, 
the year I had playing with him and, and just just seeing how hard a guy like him works uh, is honestly, it, it was it was a blessing. But, um, you know, we got to move forward and we got to do what we got to do. We're talking the Bears offensive tackle, Jermon Bushrod. And, Jermon, you're doing big things off the field. you got a big golf tournament coming up June 13th, your fourth annual celebrity golf tournament. Tell us about that. Yeah, man, I'm excited about that, man. Uh, our Visualizing Rise Foundation is, um, is 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 always trying to find a way to get better in the community. Like I said earlier, this is our fourth annual celebrity golf tournament that we're hosting back in Virginia, and my fifth and my fifth annual youth football camp, which is the next day, June 14th. And um, you know, we, we've been we've been raising money with this golf. Um, Celebrity golf outing for scholarships, man. We've been able to uh, get 20 to 25 scholarships to kids um, in all areas of Virginia, and we're looking to expand. And, you know, with the growth of the community, the more help we get, the more people we'll be able to bless. Definitely. And how's your golf game? Can I start calling you Tiger Bushrod? No, no, not yet. You know, you've got to give me some time. It's just, <laughs> it's off season up here, you know. It's not like New Orleans, man. I could have got back on the course two months ago, but you know we're still fighting off the wind and all this good stuff here in Illinois. And um, I, I'm 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 itching to get back out there on the golf course and, and uh, you know better the game a little bit. Um, I don't really get as much time as I want, but you know when we get out there, we you know we can get a little competitive and uh, you know as an athlete and, and having competitive spirit you know you want to get out there and do the best you can so it's a it's a challenge for us especially as big guys you know uh, but you know <laughs> it's another year we're going to try to get better at it now who do you plan on having there at this point i know it's still early but do you have any confirmation in terms of guests yeah you know i got um i got a i got a couple of my offensive line buddies that's going to help me out uh with in, in garza and slawson um okay Unfortunately, we won't get uh, any Ravens guys because they uh, have OTA obligations. Okay. But for the youth football camp, uh, my good friend Tori Smith will be out there and, and helping out right. with the with the youth football camp. Um, Fred McAfee, a good friend from the Saints, is going to come through. Uh, Jonathan Goodwin, who was with the 49ers, he's going to slide on through. He's been he's been pretty loyal to my foundation, which is which is which is great to have and. Uh, Johnny Patrick from the Jets is going to come through for me, like he has been in the last two, three years. Um, so you know we got a, We got a good, good group of guys that's coming out. A few more guys: George Coghill, uh, Mike Nams, who played in the NFL a little while ago, but they're retired. They're from Virginia, so you know they come out and they show they show love to me, and I really appreciate that. No doubt, no doubt. We're talking to Bears off at the tackle, Jermon Bushrod. As a whole. You, you talked about some of the things you guys did, guys did on the defensive side of the ball. The offense is coming back. You were prolific on the offensive side of the ball last season. As a whole, do you do you feel like at this point in time that you guys can compete for a Super Bowl? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're you know it's a new year, man. It's a new year, and you never really know how this thing is going to shake up. You know, we have Super Bowl dreams, we have Super Bowl aspirations, and that's what we're fighting for. Um, you know, like I said, we have all 11 people returning on offense from last year. Uh, as a defense, we signed our two veteran Pro Bowl cornerbacks, which is clutch. We brought in four new defensive ends after we just lost 
one of uh, you know one of one of the greats in the game. And Peppers, we brought in you know Jared Allen, uh, Lamar Houston. We brought we got bigger down to Jay back, and um, <clears throat> and we brought in another defensive man, Willie Young. So you know I'm feeling good about the defense. I'm feeling good about the offense. Our special teams will come through when needed, and they always do their job. And uh, the coaching staff has the right mindset. We have the right mindset, and uh, you know we got to do it. So you you're a Virginia boy. You played in New Orleans for most of your career. You got used to that cold in Chicago at this point. Man, yeah. I mean, honestly, if, if I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, this is the second worst winter or worst snowfall in Chicago history. So you know, I don't know what kind of luck I brought with me, but it wasn't it wasn't you know good luck weather wise but it's been it's been a pretty bad winter here and it's still pretty cold and windy out there but um i'm just in a great you know i'm in a great place i have my family here i'm i'm in chicago or outside of chicago man it's a good feel and uh you know i love the city i love the people and and you know i'm all in where can fans find information about the visualize and rise foundation okay. and some of the great events coming up you can check out, for all updates on, on both Virginia and Chicago events, you can check out JamalBushard.com, VisualizingRise.com, visualizing or .org. You can follow my Twitter, my, uh, my Twitter, and I have a Visualizing Rise Foundation Twitter. My personal Twitter and Instagram is J underscore Bushard 7475. And, uh, you know, follow me on Facebook. We have a, a good, Visualizing Rise uh, Foundation page on Facebook as well for all people, um, whatever whatever social media site you you have out there. I'll be posting all kind of updates to lead people in the right direction, and you know, and if you, know, if you have given in your heart, you know, we have we have donate tabs on our on our website, and you know, all the money goes right back to to the community, to these kids, and for these scholarships, and uh, just for people who need it, man, and it's a good feeling when you can uh, when you can be in a position to do that. And remember, everybody, Jermon loves the kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Jermon, pleasure <laughs> talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on, especially every year. You always look out for me, so I appreciate it. No doubt. Take care. Return to Jermon Bushrod, offensive tackle, Chicago Bears, and We'll see what happens with the Bears in the upcoming NFL season. Obviously, it's a long, long off season, and obviously, a lot can happen in this long, long off season. You got the draft coming up, and you know, you can change the fortunes of your franchise. Who knows with certain draft picks? Second hour, go for starting right now. Second hour, go forward, starting right now in this hour. We're expected to be joined by Green Bay Packers linebacker Sam Barrington. And Sam is preparing for the upcoming NFL season, just like a lot of people preparing for the upcoming NFL season. But uh, we're going to talk to him about his prep for the upcoming NFL season last season, where he stands with his injury and everything healing with Sam Barrington. 
I, I promised you earlier I would go back to Deshaun Jackson. Um, here's what I, when I look at this whole situation, obviously to me is a situation that is stunning, is surprising, is shocking, and you didn't expect it to happen. You really did not expect it to happen. I mean, when it dropped on that Friday, I, I was stunned. I mean, I guess, you know, leading up to it, you had a feeling that Deshaun was either going to be traded or Deshaun either uh, was going to be released. So it's going to be one of those two things. But when it actually went down, I was stunned. I, I, I was shocked when it went down because it just, it just came out of nowhere. NJ.com story drops, and then all of a sudden, a few moments, few moments later, Deshaun, John, Deshaun Jackson, Eagles sent down a tweet, Deshaun Jackson has been released by the team. So it was quick. But moving forward, here's what, what I think Deshaun Jackson needs to do um, if he wants to kind of change his reputation a little bit, if he wants to me to, to, to have a long, sustained career and not kind of fall into the trap of, of, of what happened to T.O. on some level and even what happened to Allen Iverson on some level. I mean, look at Allen Iverson. Um, he didn't go out the way he should have went out. Terrell Owens, I don't believe he went out the way he should have went out as well. So I, I, my plan for Deshaun Jackson is, is kind of simple, but it may not be simple for him. But my plan for him moving forward in order for him, in my opinion, to, to be successful on and off the field and, and just to, to, to change the perception about it. My thing is this. He's on Instagram, and, you know, he's taking pictures with, with guys affiliated with gangs. And, you know, whether you're friends with those guys, not friends with those guys, whether, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your own thing, but you see those guys around and you just happen to take a picture with them, or you're just friends with them, but at the end of the day, those guys do what they do and you do what you do. At the end of the day, in this life, in this world that we know, perception is reality. What? You perceive is what is your reality. And so perceptual reality is kind of working against Deshaun Jackson here. You know, and it's kind of interesting because perception and reality kind of works for some quarterbacks and doesn't work for others. There's always perception that, you know, the quarterback gets too much credit, quarterback gets too much blame. But sometimes that perception can go in your, your, your favor when you're getting a lot of the credit, and it can go against you when you're getting all the blame when in actuality football is a team game, the ultimate team game, and you need more than just a quarterback to win in this league. It helps, but you need more than just a quarterback to win in this league. But anyway, my play for Deshaun Jackson is simple. You're on Instagram heavy. You, you got a lot of pictures up there. Um, you need to, you, you know, some of those pictures, you're doing various symbols and signs that some believe are affiliated with gangs. You need to, to get rid of that. You need to shut down your Instagram account. You need to clean that up a little bit. Because, again, perception is reality. People see you're, you're on corporate America. It is what it is. You are a part of corporate America. And, you know, because you're a part of corporate America, there are certain standards that you must abide and adhere to. You know, we don't always look at football in the National Football League. It's for the general corporate America, but it is. It's big business. And in big business, big business, excuse me, you know, you got to carry yourself in a certain way. And Deshaun Jackson now needs to figure that out. He needs to figure that out, and he needs to know. And, and, and you know, you got to be careful when you press set, as Herman Edwards says. You know, you, you look over the picture that you're about to press send on. Look over. 
Look it over once, twice, three times to make sure that it's good for your brand, that it's good for the perception that's out there about you because you're selling your brand. You are your brand. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, having some of those things on the Instagram account, it made it easy for the Philadelphia Eagles to say, okay, this, that, what have you, or one of the reasons we're moving on from. You made it easy. You made it easy for them. You made it easy for them. I'm not saying it's fair because it's far from fair, but you made it easy for them. Furthermore, get out of the music business. I mean, don't be so prominent in it. I mean, you can stay in it, but don't kind of be the face of it. Because I, I, I look at it again. I remember Alan Iverson, he dropped the, the 40 bar song and had some cursing in it, you know, had some homosexual references in it as well. And, you know, he caught backlash from it. He caught backlash from it. But you know what AI did? He, he didn't do it, he, he didn't release it. He distanced himself from it, he shut it down. You know why? Because it started to hurt the brand of Allen Iverson. So here's the thing. You are your brand, what you put out there. So it's important that the perception of you is good and not bad, not negative. So Deshaun Jackson, to me, needs to distance himself from the music business. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of artists out here selling records. There's not a lot of hip-hop artists out here having a lot of success. Uh, unless you're what? Kanye West, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne Drake, maybe Kendrick Lamar, Rick Ross. One of you, if you're any of those guys, you're selling albums. But there's not many people out here who are actually selling albums. So you're losing money, basically, the way I look at it. And not only are you losing money, but you're also making yourself look bad. I mean, you're, 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 you're being shown in a negative light. Because, you know, we those who are in the hip-hop community, who, those who understand the culture on some level, a lot of stuff that goes on that you see is really not that big of a deal. Big of a deal. But if you, you take that to, to, to other people and other people perceive it totally different. It's perceived totally different by others. So, to me, in my opinion, you know, you got to be careful. You need to distance yourself from the rap game. You know, I don't know your videos with Snoop Dogg and things of that nature. But that's, that's, what, that's, Snoop, that's how Snoop Dogg makes his money. That, that's a part of his brand. So he can do what he does in those videos. You're a little different. Your brand is different. So you've got to be a little more uh, careful. So as far as I'm concerned, and, and, and looking at Deshaun Jackson, he needs, he needs to get himself out of the rap game. At least he can't be prominent in it. He can't be out there in it, as far as I'm concerned. And wise man once said, when your side job starts affecting your main job, it's time to get rid of the side job. I mean, that's, that's kind of simple. Your main job is being on the NFL field and making money. As far as I'm concerned, some of the things that may have happened in your side job may affect, may have affected your situation with your main job. I mean, in Philadelphia, you're in an offense that you love. You're in an offense that you put up 82, 13, 32, and nine touchdowns in. You're in an offense that is was prolific, and you're in an offense that was successful, and you are in an offense that displayed your strengths. 
you put up your best, you had your best season in Chip Kelly's offense. You're going to Washington now. You're going to Washington now. There's no telling if you're going to put up those type of numbers in Washington. There's no telling. You may, but you may not. And bottom line is this, you had about $30 million coming your way in Philadelphia. It wasn't guaranteed money, but if you would have went out, if, if you would have uh, lasted the final three years of that deal, you would have got about $30 million. Now you go to Washington, you get a guaranteed $16 million, which is good. It's very good. So you guarantee yourself $16 million. That's a good situation. That's not bad money at all, and actually you kind of make out better on some level. But I, I, I just look at the situation with, with, with Deshaun Jackson, and I, and I think, you know, he made it easy for the Eagles. And, and I think moving forward, he needs to make it a little harder for the next team to get rid of him. He, he needs to make it a little harder because I, I think he made it easy for the Eagles. And the Eagles saw it, all the information, they capitalized on it, and they moved on from it. Now, you know, you got people out here in Philadelphia who don't believe it was a good situation, the right move. And you got people out here who believe it was the right move. Because, hey, he's, he's got to affiliate with gang. Or, hey, he's affiliated with bad people. And now, you know, you have more stories coming out, and teammates not being supportive, teammates talking about he's doing this and that and was a me guy. And, and, and I look at Deshaun Jackson, and, and that's, those things are not a good look. It's not a good look for you. It's just not. But the one thing I look at, look at in this whole story, one thing I look at, when, when, when I saw how his teammates really were not supporting him during this time, how, how his teammates really weren't coming out and saying, other than Michael Kendricks, no one else came out in support of Deshaun Jackson. No one else except Michael Kendricks. The only one who came out and supported Deshaun Jackson was Michael Kendricks. Everybody else, you know, kind of about the team. And Jason Kelsey, you know, his tweet and, and talking about, you know, this wasn't a popular decision, but, you know, it's about the team and so on and so forth. I mean, it wasn't pro Deshaun Jackson. It just wasn't. It wasn't pro Deshaun Jackson. And, and that told you, I think, on some level what you needed to know about the situation with Deshaun Jackson. And I look at it, I look at it, and, and, and I wonder now, you know, with the Philadelphia Eagles, what happens? And, just, and, and you look at Jason Kelsey's tweet. We just made an extremely unpopular decision, but I couldn't be more excited and happy with where this organization is going. Hashtag fly, Eagles, fly. That's not an endorsement for Deshaun Jackson. That's kicking you out the door. That's saying this is about the team. Nothing more, nothing less. So no one really came out in support of Deshaun Jackson. So, you know, yeah, Todd Harriman's his charity event. No one really was supportive of him. A lot of people talked about the notion of the team. So maybe he wasn't me, God, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he's in the game, maybe he's not. Maybe he was a cancer in locker, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he got along with Chip Kelly. Maybe he didn't. But the bottom line is this. this. This game is about production. There's not many choir boys 
in the National Football League, and quite frankly, there are no choir boys in life. So everybody comes with something. Everybody has, so as far as I'm concerned, I look at Deshaun Jackson, I look at this situation. Um, I just hope he learns from it because, again, he made it easy for Eagles. I hope moving forward he'll make it harder for whatever team, whether it's the Redskins or whatever team, moving forward, who wants to get rid of him and who will cite things other than what he does on the field. Because on the field, 82, 13, 32, nine touchdowns. And, oh, by the way, 60 of those 82 were for first down. So those were meaningful catches. Those were meaningful catches. And Deshaun Jackson now is a Washington Redskins. And Deshaun Jackson has an opportunity in my mind to, to change the perception of him. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has an opportunity to change the perception of him. And, you know, it, it may not happen right away. It may take a, a, a long time, but he has an opportunity. I mean, we look at Michael Vick and, and, and what he did. And I, I, don't, I don't want to compare anything with Deshaun Jackson did to what Michael Vick did at the end of the day, Deshaun Jackson has done nothing. But you look at the situation with Michael Vick, and even after all these years, there are still people who, who will never forgive him for what happened with the situation with the dogs. And they'll never forgive him. Fair or unfair, they'll never forgive him. I think it's unfair, but it is what it is. You can't expect everybody to forgive you. But I believe he is somewhat of a changed man, but I don't know. But I believe he's a changed man on the surface. And I believe moving forward, he'll continue to be a change man. But I want to say this, <clears throat> and I'm the most pro-Michael Vick guy out there you'll ever hear. I'm pro-Michael Vick. But I want to say this. Just the other day as I was laying in bed, and I was looking at my dog, and, um, you know, i got a poodle here. And I was looking at him, and you saw almost human qualities in the dog. I mean, there are human qualities within a dog. But... You know, when you look at it, you, you, you look at the dog, you wonder how anybody could ever inflict any kind of damage or harm on a dog. You, you just wonder as you look at the dog. Now, and, and you know, again, again, whatever happened with Michael Vick is what happened. The past is the past. And I, I move on from what happened with Michael Vick. I mean, he, he said he made a mistake. He said he viewed dogs differently. And, and now he's got a dog in his household for his kids and with the hope, he said, that his kids will have a, a better appreciation for animals than he did. So, you know, I, but I look at my dog and, and I, you know, I, I see human qualities in them, and, and it's like, wow, how can you ever do, how can you ever harm a dog? How, how, how can you ever torture a dog? How can you ever do bad things to a dog? Or any other animal for that matter. But, you know, uh, especially domesticated animals like dogs and cats. I mean, how, how can you ever do anything to a dog? And, you know, I mean, it just kind of comes out of left field. But, you know, I was just thinking that as I, as I was just looking at my dog the other day. But, again, and, but at the end of the day, there are people who may have that similar feeling, but there are also people who have that feeling and may take it a step further and say, you know what, because of that, I'll never forgive him because, I, you know, I'll never forgive him, forgive him for, for, for what he did. I'll never. <clears throat> I mean, even after going to New York, there are people talking about it. I think I read an article in the Post, New York Post, Two weeks back, somebody talking about Michael Vick and dogs, and you know, so on and so forth. And you know, I mean, at what point, you know, whatever happened with those dogs, whatever happened, and I'm not saying it's right, and and no means by no means is it right. But I I think at some point, I mean, we we are a forgiving society. It it almost feels like I mean, you look at the situation with Dante Stallworth, who 
who has a situation where you're, uh, you know, drunk driving and, and, and uh, hit a guy in the street and ultimately killed him um, with his car. But it, uh, you, you look at that, and, and I feel like, and it may be because of Michael Vick's stature as a player, but I feel like Michael Vick gets more backlash for that and killing dogs than, than what happened with the human dying. I mean, Leonard Little, um, you know, and obviously it's not the same type of stature as Michael Vick, but, you know, drunk driving killed a person. I mean, you know, we don't give him the same type of – people didn't give him the same type of, uh, of, of backlash and, and anger. People didn't have the same type of backlash or the same type of anger that they had for Michael Vick. I mean, and again, it could be the stature of Michael Vick, but it also could be to a larger issue in how, you know, sometimes we view – some people view animals on the same level as humans, and, you know, that's a different discussion for another time. But I think at the end of the day, Moving forward, I think, you know, it's time for us as a society to forgive Michael Vick and, and, and move on for that. But anyway, with Deshaun Jackson, I, I think, you know, getting rid of the Instagram account, getting out of the music business, or at least not being prominent in the music business. I mean, you can still run us through his thing and whatnot, but I kind of think it's a money waste, but it's not my money. But, you know, he can do whatever he wants moving forward, but I think it would be in his best interest now to, to move away from that and, and distance himself from that. You can still be involved, but don't be prominently involved. Don't put yourself in music videos with Snoop Dogg and, 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 you know, doing whatever. So I think that would be good for his brand because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the brand, and that brand is about you, and you don't want to mess up that brand. And ultimately, you don't want your side job to get in the way of your main job. And I want to go to baseball now. Daniel Murphy in his whole situation, I mean, Boomer Sison came out hard on him. My Francesca came out hard on him. I mean, this guy had a baby, and he decided he wanted to stay a little longer. I mean, and, and, and people were coming out ripping the guy. Sison has apologized, by the way. But people coming out and ripping the guy, you know, getting into the guy. And, and you know, I look at it this way, and, and I understand, you know, his job is his job, and he doesn't have the, you know, the, the quote-unquote normal job. He does in his, in his schedule. Of his job is a lot different than schedule yours and my job, but I look at it this way, and I know it's 100, it, there's 162 games in baseball, and we're in April. 162 games, we're in April. You're not losing the pennant, you're not lo- you're losing the division in April. You're just not. So I, I I I look at the situation. I think it's kind of much to do about nothing. It really is. I mean, if the guy wants to stay with his his, his daughter and his, his child and his wife a little longer, why not? I mean. Well, why not? I mean, you're, you're, that's your kid. And, you know, it's always important to be there for the birth of your kid. And also, you know, you want to be there for the first few days as well, if you can. Because he did say he was going to be on a road trip for a little while, and he, a couple of weeks, so he will not be able to get to see his kid. So, you know, he took that extra day, and I, I don't blame him. I, I, I don't blame him. I mean, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. And it's really much to do about nothing. And, you know, he did have a C-section, so his wife did have a C-section. So you could argue that that may be okay. There, you, I guess you could argue that maybe he could have scheduled it because you can schedule C-sections in different days and whatnot. Maybe he could have scheduled it a little differently. But, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's you got to do what's best for your family. And, you know, you, there are times that you can't get certain things back in life. You know, once it happens, sometimes I mean, you're very fortunate you can't get things back in life, but sometimes you miss out and you can't get it back. And if you do get it back, 
it's going to take you a very long time to get it back. Um, I just don't believe, you know, that this is that big of a deal. I don't think it's that big of a story. And I think it's kind of much to do about nothing. Because, again, again, 162 games in a baseball season. I guess it's a NFL season. You could, it, it, you could understand certain things because the NFL season is only 16 games in comparison to 162 games. And, you know, being that there's only so many games, every game counts. Every game matters. Every game is important. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's only so many times that you can be a father. There are so many times where you can can get spend precious time with your wife who's coming off a C section and a C section is no joke. You know, that's a that's a big time situation. Having a baby's no joke, let alone a C section. So for him to want to be able to spend extra time with his wife, with his uh, newborn child, I get it. I understand it. And I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it. I mean Again, 162 games. I'm okay with it. I really am. I mean, that's a that's a anybody that's had a child knows that there's nothing like that. There's nothing like childbirth, being around it and being a part of it. So kudos to Daniel Murphy for for doing what he's got to do and doing what he needs to do, well, doing what he feels like he needs to do. You know, and then that's be with his wife for an extra day. It's not like he's staying for an extra week. Staying for an extra day. Not like staying for extra two weeks. He's staying for an extra day. Much to do, really, about nothing. Let's go to the NBA now and the Indiana Pacers and, and, and what's come up the Indiana Pacers. What's happened to the Indiana Pacers? This was a team at one point had the best record in basketball. This was a team that it kind of was almost a foregone conclusion that they would get the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, possibly number one seed overall in basketball, but more so the Eastern Conference. It was kind of a foregone conclusion. It was kind of a foregone conclusion after March, after March 26th, after they beat the Miami Heat. And when they, after they won that game, a lot of people were saying that at that point, the Indiana Pacers are in control. The Indiana Pacers, they were two games up in the lost column. And, and at that point, about three and a half games up at that point, 52 and 50, the Heat were 48 and 22. So about three and a half games up at that point. And in control, they were in control, in control of their, their, their situation. You figured at that point they had put the, they, they finally kept the Heat at bay. And at that point you thought that the Indiana Pacers would get the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. You, you thought that. You thought that. And from there, it's been awful for the Indiana Pacers. From, from, from that game, it's been an awful situation for the Indiana Pacers. It really has. It's been an awful situation. After they beat the Miami Heat on March 26th and everything was happening, even after February 20th when they made that deal to bring in Evan Turner, hasn't really been peaches and cream for the Indiana Pacers. But even after that game, March 26th against the Miami Heat, which was almost to me like a game seven for them. It was almost like a finals game for them. It got the sense that that, that, that was the, their big game. One of the biggest, it was one of the biggest games of their season, but they really, really, really 
wanted that game and they got that game. But <clears throat> after that game, they went on a three-game losing streak, losing at Washington, losing to Cleveland, and getting blown out at home by San Antonio. They come back and beat Detroit, and they lose against the Toronto Raptors. So after, on March 26th, after you beat the Heat, you go on to lose three of your next four games. Before beating the Heat, you, uh, let's look at some of the teams. They, you know, they lost to Chicago. They lost to Memphis, two playoff teams. They did, did beat Chicago on March 21st. They lost to the Knicks. I mean, this is a team that really hasn't had a lot of success against playoff teams. I mean, March 5th through the 9th, they had Charlotte. They lost to who will be a playoff team. Lost to Houston, lost to Dallas. Both were playoff teams. Lost to Golden State as well before that, Tuesday, March 4th. So this is a team now. You know, even before that, February 19th, that Minnesota lost to the uh, T-Wolves, who were over 500. Then February 12th, they lose to the Dallas Mavericks, who are over 500. I look at this team now, and um, honestly, Paul George was big time at the beginning of the season, not so big time moving forward. Hasn't been as big as he was as he started the season. When he started the season, he started the season on fire, and I was saying to myself that Paul George is probably going to be the MVP. He's playing like an MVP at least the first couple months of the season. But he's falling off. Roy Hibbert has fallen off big time. I mean, this team, and, and Roy Hibbert said, you know what? We got a lot of selfish dudes on this team. We got a lot of selfish dudes on this team. And you look at what Roy Hibbert said, and, and then you, you, you go to the numbers and you look at this team. This team is 28th in the NBA and it's six per game. So Roy Hibbert said that, and then you look at the numbers, and then you say, maybe this team does have a lot of selfish dudes on this roster. Maybe there is a lot of selfish dudes on this roster. Maybe there is, because the numbers will tell you that. They, they, they tell you that. I mean, you look at Paul George, before the All-Star break, 22 points per game. You know, after the All-Star break, numbers are down slightly, but not as down as you, you, you would think they were. But Roy Hibbert has been, been awful. The Jets times he's been awful. I mean, so, I, I'm, you know, I look at the team now, and one of the things that, that works for them is that they are in the Eastern Conference. So let's look at it now, just to give you a, 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 an understanding of this. They're playing in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, just looking at the Eastern Conference, look at the Western Conference. Let's just say at this point they're the second seed right now in the East. If they were in the West, they'd be a little further down. I believe they would be about the fourth seed. But they're the second seed in the, the, the East. So let's just say they're in the second seed in the West as well. Well, their matchup would be against either Dallas or Memphis, possibly even uh, Golden State, even Phoenix for that matter. But that is a big difference than who they would probably play in the Eastern Conference in the first round if things ended today. They would be playing the Charlotte Bobcats, a team that's 38-38 in comparison to the Dallas Mavericks, who are 46-31, who might be a 50-win team. And the Bobcats may barely finish over 500, may not even be over 500 when it's all said and done. So thank goodness for them. They're in the Eastern Conference. But even with that being said, you stay in that second seed, right? 
you say the second seed, and, and you play the Bobcats in the first round, you beat the Bobcats, at that point you would play either Toronto or Washington. Two teams play some decent basketball, especially the Toronto Raptors, who, if they went out, I mean, I don't think they will, but what, 76 games, they have six games left. If they win their final six, they could win 50 games. So that, that tells you a lot about the Raptors. But you look at the Toronto Raptors, if they have them in the second round, that's not going to be easy out. Washington won't be an easy out either. That's not going to be easy out. So the point I'm trying to make is this. The point I'm trying to make is this. I mean, yes, I think we need to be concerned about the Indiana Pacers. Yes, I think this team could be in trouble. But at the same time, this team is very fortunate that they are in the Eastern Conference because if they were out west, this could be a team that could be a first-round exit. And that would be shocking and stunning. And you look at this team, and, and their ultimate goal coming into the season, obviously, get home court advantage, get home court advantage. And they came out like gangbusters, and you thought they would get home court advantage. And then, I mean, you look at the top two teams in the East. I mean, the Miami Heat aren't playing all that much better. So, We'll see what happens. A lot of basketball to be played, but I think if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers, you need to be concerned about what's going on there. You really need to be concerned. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Packers linebacker Sam Barrington. You're listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean see. anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. <laughs> We see what you can do. We seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Rocky. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. And we're back. We're going to bring in a guy now who uh, many people are expecting big things out of this guy coming into the 2014 season for the Green Bay Packers. Let's bring him in now, linebacker for the Green Bay Packers, Sam Barrington. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. No problem. Sam, you went down with the hamstring injury. At this point, how is the leg? And how frustrating was that for you? Um, everything is great with me health wise. Everything is great, so I'm I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, it was very frustrating, but I really turned it into a learning experience, and um, I was confident in the and you know within the decision my uh, you know the organization made, and I just I just made it a learning progress a process from there, and I just. You know, I just made sure I learned from it because things are going to happen and you can't really let yourself get down and you just got to find a way to gain something from it. So that's what I did. 
Now, before that injury, did you feel like you were on the verge of getting some defensive snaps? Uh, I can't really say. Uh, what I do know is I, I, I was I was putting myself in a position to be ready for whatever came. And so, you know, that was a battle of its own, but it was it was something that I, you know, appreciated during the process because not only did I learn so much about, you know, the defense and the team and the schemes and Coach Capers and what he likes to do on a down-to-down basis, I learned a lot about myself as well. Now, look at you now. You were a seven-round pick, and you had a lot to prove, obviously, being a seven-round pick. What was your mindset last season going into training camp? Uh, really, it was it was just an execution mind state. And uh, I just wanted to go there and really contribute and really uh, really play my role. And um, my role was just to come in as a guy who's going to work hard and provide depth on special teams and also depth at linebacker. And so that was my mind state. And like I said, the type of execution mind state, it was just to work hard day in and day out, uh, you know, and really study as far as, um, you know, the playbook, put myself in the okay. long position because, you know, it's, it's not easy. So, you know, that's I knew that going in there, so that's what I wanted to do. What's the biggest adjustment for you going from college to the NFL? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just time management because in college, you know, you have things, set things that you have to do. And those things are put in place and it's kind of constructed to help you learn in a sense. And kind of it, it, it kind of puts you in a position to, you know, be able to, manage things when you don't have a, a such structured schedule and how to structure your schedule on your own. And so once I got in the NFL, you know, it was all about you have a certain amount of time free, what are you going to do with that time? And Coach McCarthy, he always emphasized that. And so once I, you know, got into a mode where I had a set schedule and I did things a certain way all the time, I found myself, like, growing. We're talking to Packers linebacker Sam Barrington. And Sam, Coach Mike McCarthy, he expects big things from you, expects you to make a big jump in 2014. What have you done in this offseason to make that jump? All right. Um, all the little things, all the little things, you know, just really paying attention to what I put into my body, really paying attention to, you know, when you do certain things, your body responds certain ways. So really paying attention to my bodily response, uh, you know, making sure you you, you kind of, put your body in, in the position to, um, I guess, in a sense, be uh, be able to stay away from injuries, in a sense. That's the most important thing, understanding the defense more and just getting myself mentally ready to go into a season because it's a long season. And not only will your body break down, your mind will break down if you allow it to. Now, Sam, one thing people say about you and talk about you is your aggressive style. Talk about your style of play. Well, it just – like I said, I go back to execution. And uh, anytime, anytime, you know, I go out there and I do something, I want to uh, kind of leave a lasting impression. And uh, those things go long ways in uh, football because, you know, if you bring it to alignment, you know, three snaps later and you keep doing it, by that fourth snap, he's going to find a way to miss you. And, you know, here's that's the tackle for a loss. So, uh, you know, you just really bring it. And it's fun when you kind of go out there and you're playing hard every snap and it works out for you after a while. We're talking to Packers linebacker Sam Barrington. Sam, you're from Jacksonville. You played at South Florida. 
it had to be a little bit of a culture shock going to the cold in Green Bay. Definitely. I cannot deny that. But it wasn't, you know, I think everybody deals with uh, different things. I mean, certain things differently. And so I just took that in stride, and I kind of put myself in a position to, you know, just really just really embrace it, embrace it. And the fans made it great. Uh, Lambo experience made it great. And actually just being able to play and um, get game get game experience that you know that that made it that made it all worthwhile. How was that Lambo experience? Excuse me. How was that Lambo experience? Uh, definitely like no other, man. Definitely like no other, because once you see all those fans come out just to support you and just to watch you play, and they have so much faith within their home team, and you know they care so much about what you're doing. It gives you that much more motivation, and so I'm looking forward to get back up there. And even our, it was our, uh, you know, like our team scrimmage that we had in Lambeau, and it was more than sixty thousand people in there. So that was just something of its own. Now you are a Florida boy, the Miami Heat. This is a team now, two-time world champions. They have LeBron James. You confident about your boys? Well, Lee, I'm, I'm a LeBron fan, man. So LeBron goes to any team, I'll be a fan of it. But I definitely, um, I definitely like to see the Heat pick it up and continue to, you know, go ahead and get this three peat. I think it's only a matter of time. You know, teams struggle sometimes, and sometimes teams just go in and just dominate all season. It's just that's just how sports are sometimes. Everybody can't be great all the time, even though that's what we shoot for. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. So you're not too concerned about OKC out west? You're not too concerned about the Spurs? You're not too concerned about the Pacers? Uh, hey, man, I'm, if you ask me to eat, when, it, when it's final time, they're going to handle business, and that's all that matters. <laughs> now let's look at you guys, the Green Bay Packers. In the offseason, you bring back Tremont Williams, Mike Neal, DJ Rodgers, excuse me, to name a few. Also, you bring in Julius Peppers. Do you feel like you guys are a Super Bowl caliber team going into 2014? I definitely do. I definitely do. But anything, you know, that's worth having is worth fighting for. So it's definitely going to take, you know, a a collective effort by the offense and the defense and the coaches and the special teams. So we just got to go in there and put in the work and reap the benefits. Overall, what are your personal goals and team goals? Obviously, team goals to win a Super Bowl. But what are some of your personal goals going into 2014? My personal goals is just simply to grow as a player and become a, and, and be a great teammate. I feel like if I execute those things day in and day out, they'll lead to the big things, and that's just what I believe in. So. Now, Sam, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Sam Barrington on Twitter? Where can fans connect with Sam Barrington on Twitter? My Twitter handle is Sam underscore Barrington underscore. Very simple. I think maybe I need to change it sometime soon. (laughs) (laughs) So fans, support some of the great things going on with Sam Barrington as he prepares for a breakout year in 2014 with the Green Bay Packers. Sam, pleasure talking with you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. No doubt about it. I appreciate you having me. Take care. All right, you too. Sam Barrington, linebacker for the Green Bay Packers.
and you look at the situation with Sam, he's, he's looking to make that next step and looking to take that next step with the Green Bay Packers, and, and hopefully he can do it. Hopefully he can do it, but we'll see. And I want to go back to Deshaun Jackson for a moment. And, and you know, I want to go put on the field. Forget about all the off-the-field stuff. It's hard to replace 82, 13, 32, and nine touchdowns. It, it, it just is. And obviously that's probably going to probably happen through the draft with the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of replacing it, replacing Deshaun Jackson in, in terms of short term and even long term for that matter. But you look at it, and, and, and I'm looking at some of the, the, the best rookie seasons for wide receivers out there. I mean, obviously you have Randy Moss, who was incredible back in 1998, where, where he put up 89, 69 catches, 13, over 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns. I mean, just absolutely amazing by Randy Moss, absolutely amazing. But, you know, that's not something you usually expect or usually see. And, you know, that was in 1998 out of Randy Moss. I mean, you can go to Anquan Bolden back in 2003 where he caught, you know, where he was big time, over 100, over 100 uh, receptions, 1,300 yards, 18 touchdowns. Again, that was 2003. But, again, those – are the exceptions and, and not necessarily the rule. I mean, it's very, very difficult to to find that in the NFL draft, it's at least right away. I mean, obviously you can, uh, you know, develop into that and, and become that, but that doesn't happen overnight. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't happen right away. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. That does not happen right away. That is going to happen overnight. So it's going to be interesting to see if Deshaun Jackson, not Deshaun Jackson, if the Philadelphia Eagles can replace Deshaun Jackson and replace that production. That's going to be very interesting. At this point, a lot of people are saying that Chip Tully they trust. There are a lot of people out there, but I, I, I want to kind of Tell you a little something. Back in 1995, Ray Rhodes came on scene as the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Ray Rhodes was a big-time coach for the Eagles that first year. It was a team that many didn't expect to do much, but they actually ended up winning 10 games and also won a playoff game. I was at that playoff game, by the way. It was a good time against the Detroit Lions in that game. It was a 50-37. Just an amazing uh, game, and it was good to be in the house, good to be in the building on that particular day. Great to be in the building, actually, on that particular day. Great to be on the great to be in the building. But I, I look at that game and, and look at that season, and you say, okay, you believe in Ray Rhodes, you believe in the Philadelphia Eagles, you believe the Eagles have found the right coach, and at the time, yes, he was the right coach. And then the next season, 1996 the Philadelphia Eagles win another 10 games, and the Philadelphia Eagles give back to the playoffs. This time they lose in the wild card round to the San Francisco 49ers. So Ray Rhodes, his first two seasons were 10-win seasons. He had two 10-win seasons, his first two seasons. And so he really came in and, and, and was big time. 
And, and a lot of people were talking very highly of Ray Rose, the coach. A lot of people. But, you know, he, he had a lot of success the first two seasons. A lot of success. I mean, in that 96 season, they got off to a 7-2 start. They struggled down the stretch there, but they got off to a 7-2 start. So that first season was big time for the Eagles and Ray Rose, those first two. And then 1997, it kind of fell off a little bit. Eagles finished the season 6-9-1. And, and then in, in 1998, it, it completely fell off the cliff and completely fell apart. They went 3-13. and 13. And at that point, Ray Rose was let go. And then at that point, Andy Reid came in. But the point I'm trying to make is this guy had a lot of success the first two seasons, 10-6 and six and 10-6. and six. Won the NFC East. In 1996. So Chip Kelly comes in now with similar low expectations, and the Eagles go on to win 10 games. And, you know, a lot of people talk about Chip Kelly and revolutionized the game and his offense is revolutionary and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, I, I look at that and I'm saying to myself, okay, you know, great. Chip Kelly's got off to a great start, but he did benefit from a, a, a schedule that kind of was beneficial. I mean, you know, you, you face Aaron Rodgers, one of the tougher games on your schedule. I mean, the first four games of the Eagles' schedule was against, you know, teams that, you know, were in the business of possibly going to the playoffs. I mean, they had San Diego in the second game. They had Kansas City in the, uh, the third game. And they had Denver in the fourth game. Their first game was against the Redskins, which they won, was not a playoff team. So their first four games, the first four games for the Eagles, they were one and three, but three of those first, three out of the four first, three out of the four games were against teams who, were made, who made the playoffs, Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos. All playoffs teams, Broncos, made it to the Super Bowl. And then ultimately, Michael Vick would go out, and then Nick Foles would step in, and Nick Foles would go on and beat the Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, two bad football teams. And then he would lose to the Cowboys, and that was a game where he was awful. And then Michael Vick would come back against uh, the Giants, and he was bad in that game because he was injured, really couldn't move, really couldn't play, was a shell of himself. Then the Eagles went on to win four games in a row, Beat Oakland, not Oakland. Beat Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Beat Washington. Uh, beat the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and the Arizona Cardinals were a team that many players could have made the playoffs, a 10 win team, but they didn't make the playoffs. But, you know, that's a good win. That's definitely a good win. But then, you know, you go on and you beat the Lions in the snow. And I, and I thought the snow was very beneficial to the Eagles in that particular day, but it is what it is. You, you make your own breaks, so you do what you got to do. But then you lose to Minnesota, week 15. You beat up on the Bears, good win. And then you go to Dallas, and, you know, as, you know very fortunate. You're very fortunate, and, and Tony Romo wasn't there. Tony Romo wasn't there in that particular game, fortunately enough for you. And, again, I had the, 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 the Cowboys winning the division, winning that game, because I was under the mindset that Tony Romo would be there and when he wasn't there, I had to say the Eagles were going to win. 
So I, I, I look at the Eagles, and they benefited from their schedule. They really did. They benefited from their schedule. I know this year, you know, they, they're going to play some harder teams. They're definitely going to play some harder teams. So I, it should be interesting to see how the Eagles do in 2014. It should be interesting to see how the situation plays out for Chip Kelly. should be very interesting because if his team falls off, if his if team falls off, and then if they, not only if they fall off, but if Deshaun Jackson goes to Washington and blows it up and has a big-time year and duplicates 82, 13, 32, and nine touchdowns, there's going to be some serious backlash against Chip Kelly. Just this. And, and rightfully so. There's a lot of pressure on Chip Kelly. You look at the Eagles' schedule. Look at some of the teams they're going to be playing. And the Carolina Panthers, that's the team they're going to be playing. A playoff team. Seattle Seahawks, a playoff team. Um, you look at Green Bay Packers, a playoff team. The Indianapolis Colts, a playoff team. San Francisco 49ers, a playoff team. Arizona Cardinals won 10 games. Could have been a playoff team in any other year. The point I'm trying to make is one, two, three, four, five playoff teams on your schedule. Five playoff teams. Now, who knows? They may get fortunate. And who knows what the NFC East is going to be. If the NFC East is it's just a smidge better, that also changes things. And if the East was awful last year. But if it's better, that changes things. So it should be interesting. A lot of people believe the Rams might be a little better too next year. It's also on the Philadelphia Eagles schedule. So it should be interesting to see how this thing plays out. But again, the pressure is on Chip Kelly. The pressure is on him now because he is the reason that Deshaun Jackson is in Washington. I believe it was his decision. I believe it was his choice. He didn't want Deshaun Jackson in the locker room. No more. Didn't want him in his locker room no more. I get it. But at this point, if you're Chip Kelly, you gotta now you gotta now replace Deshaun Jackson. And if you struggle offensively or even as a team next season, a lot of people are gonna be a little upset because of what happened with the whole Deshaun Jackson thing. A lot of people are not going to be happy because of what happened with Deshaun Jackson. Should be very interesting. Again, you have a Final Four tonight, and there is nothing like the Final Four. And you got some good matchups. Kentucky, Wisconsin, UConn, Florida, you know, a lot of storylines, a lot of various storylines. I mean, you got, what, the situation with Kentucky, with the freshmen, um, you got UConn and Shabazz Napier. You got Florida, who hasn't lost since December 2nd against UConn. I mean, so you got, and Wisconsin and, and Kaminsky. You, you got a lot of the various storylines. And it should be, it, it makes for a great tournament. And again, as I said earlier in the show, and I'll repeat myself anybody who believes one and done is bad for college, football, college basketball needs to watch. All you need to do is watch this tournament. The parody was amazing. The parody was great. It led to great tournament games. And 
as we come into this tournament, a lot of people say anybody could win it. A lot, of, a lot of people believe that, you know, this tournament was very wide open. And it kind of is. I mean, many didn't expect Kentucky to be at this point. A lot of people thought Kentucky was in long goal. A lot of people thought Kentucky would lose to Louisville. I mean, we had them losing to Wichita State. A lot of people thought uh, UConn would lose to Michigan State. Many didn't believe UConn would be at this point. But it's great basketball. It's great theater. And as far as I'm concerned, you've got some great matchups. And then the Fab Five freshmen, that's blasphemous, I know. But the Fab Five out of Kentucky, and the way they're playing is blasphemous because we all know who the Fab Five is. Michigan, 1992. Rose, Weber, Howard, Jackson, King. That's the Fab Five. This is a great group of freshmen, but it's not the Fab Five. But I look at it moving forward, moving forward, going to be a great Final Four. It's going to be some great games. I mean, Wichita State, Kentucky. I mean, that was, that was a great basketball game. That was a great basketball game. You, and I was watching that game, I was like, man, that could, that could be easily an Elite Eight, Final Four type of game. That was big time. But anyway, who wins tonight? Who wins this whole thing come Monday? I got Florida. I mean, they're just playing some, some great basketball right now. They're on a roll. They're hot. And, and I expect that hotness to continue against UConn. I like Kentucky tonight. I like the role that they're on. I like the way these freshmen are playing. I like the athleticism that Kentucky has. I believe Kentucky wins tonight. I think it's going to be Florida and Kentucky in the national title game, and I think Florida takes it home. I actually have Florida winning this whole thing in my tournament. I believe I have Florida against Louisville. To be honest with you, I know I have Florida win, but I didn't even look at it anymore. I mean, after it started, I stopped looking at it. After my practice, we're getting busted left and right with all these upsets, Mercer, and all these other crazy upsets out here, Dayton. I mean, after all these upsets started to happen, I was like, screw it. I'm not even going to look at this bracket. But anyway, Florida, Kentucky, get it done tonight, and Florida gets it done on Monday night. I want to thank Jermon Bushrod for stopping by. Make sure you support all the things with Jermon Bushrod with his Visualize and Rise Foundation. Also, I want to thank Sam Barron Packers for stopping by. Also, I want to thank Marcus Williams. North, North Dakota State, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft, I want to thank him for stopping by. And also want to thank St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgame where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGame, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash GoForItGame, G O. R-I-T-G-A-N-T. For everybody here at Go For It, we hope you have a great weekend. We hope you enjoy the Final Four. See you later. Take care. Bye.